the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. This one faith already exists. It's nothing that we need to aim for because it's already a reality. But when Paul speaks about attaining to the unity of the faith in verse 13, he's talking about, note this, growth in understanding the content of our faith. So that, as one Bible teacher put it, it's an experiential development of this faith as believers increase in spiritual capacity. What you knew when you were first born again is a lot less than you know now. You've grown in your understanding of the faith. That stuff was basic, and we love it, but we move on from there. What Paul is saying is that one of the marks of a mature church is that the church has an in-depth understanding of the doctrines of the gospel. And there is an essential unity and agreement on those doctrines. The church doesn't simply have a superficial understanding of doctrine. They have a growing understanding, a meaningful understanding, an in-depth understanding of doctrine. In other words, a mature church is committed to doctrinal clarity. you're able to join us for today's verse-by-verse program. Last time we were talking about the marks of a mature church. As Pastor Steve Kreloff just mentioned, a mature church is committed to doctrinal clarity. A mature church knows about Jesus Christ and the doctrines that make up the gospel. They believe those doctrines and agree on them. A church that abandons sound doctrine for shallow, shall we say feel-good teaching, may attract people but that church doesn't produce spiritual maturity in the lives of the congregation. Here on the Verse by Verse program, we are committed to teaching proper doctrine, and our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, does an excellent job of doing just that. As we go through our program today, we're going to learn more about the marks of a spiritually mature church. So, here is Pastor Steve. The question is, if we already have this unity, and we do, then why does Paul now say that we are to move towards attaining, means arriving at the unity of the faith? Well, first of all, we need to understand, let's back up, we need to understand that the expression, the faith, isn't a reference to our personal belief in Christ. Yes, when we came to faith in him, we placed our faith in Christ. That's our personal faith. But that's not what Paul is referring to here. By the faith, when you have a definite article, it means Christian doctrine. It means the doctrines of Christianity. It means, in other words, the content of our faith. It's the same thought that Jude gives in verse 3 of his letter when he says, we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, the body of truth. Second, 
we need to understand that though there is a unity of faith that already exists, and its present reality is true in the life of every Christian, it doesn't stop there. Let me explain. This is the unity of faith that Paul is referring to in the earlier verses. There is one faith that he's referring to when he says, if you look at verse 5, he says, one Lord, one faith. What is he talking about? That is the faith of the gospel. That's essentially justification by faith. That's what we would call the plan of salvation. It's the gospel message and the various truths that make up that gospel message. Listen, every Christian agrees with these truths. If they don't agree with this, they're not Christians. What am I talking about? Well, truths such as the sinfulness of man. That's part of the gospel message. You can't be saved without knowing about man's sin. It's the truth of the holiness of God and justice of God that God must punish sin. You couldn't be saved without knowing that. Because why would you come to Christ and be saved from your sin if you don't know that God punishes sin? The gospel message includes the doctrine of the deity of Christ. It includes the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. He's both man and God. The gospel message includes the sacrificial atonement of Christ, what he did on the cross, and the basis of justification, which is that we are saved by grace through faith. All of that makes up the gospel. That's the one faith that Paul is referring to, what he referred to back in verse 5. That is the unity of the faith that we already have. Listen, all Christians agree on this. All. Because no one can be saved without a basic understanding of the gospel. So this one faith already exists. It's nothing that we need to aim for because it's already a reality. But when Paul speaks about attaining to the unity of the faith in verse 13, he's talking about, note this, growth in understanding the content of our faith. So that as one Bible teacher put it, it's an experiential development of this faith as believers increase in spiritual capacity. What you knew when you were first born again is a lot less than you know now. You've grown in your understanding of the faith. That stuff was basic and we love it, but we move on from there. What Paul is saying is that one of the marks of a mature church is that the church has an in-depth understanding of the doctrines of the gospel. And there is an essential unity and agreement on those doctrines. The church doesn't simply have a superficial understanding of doctrine. They have a growing understanding, a meaningful understanding, an in-depth understanding of doctrine. In other words, a mature church is committed to doctrinal clarity. That's so important to understand. They know what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ and the doctrines that make up the gospel. And they believe these doctrines. And they agree on these doctrines. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the mark of a mature church. This is why a church that abandons doctrine for superficial, shallow, feel-good teaching is just absolutely wrong and off track. And while it may attract many people, it doesn't produce spiritual maturity in those people who are attracted to that. Churches that emphasize doctrine around which the church gathers and agrees and lives by, those are churches that are on the road to spiritual maturity. That's exactly the point that Paul is making. A maturing church is a church that knows what it believes. Listen, that's why we teach doctrine here. 
That's why we don't settle for just shallow messages and your Sunday school classes, there's doctrines taught. And on Wednesday night in the Acts classes, there's doctrine taught. We want you to know what the truth is and agree with all of your heart with those truths. Churches that are mature don't have divisions over doctrine. They're not having conflicts in that area. Everyone is pretty much on the same page. So what's one mark of a healthy, maturing church? There is a unity of doctrinal belief. There is a clarity. The church knows what it believes, and it believes the truth. There's a second mark of a mature church. In addition to being united on doctrine, a church that is mature is a church that is knowledgeable about Jesus Christ. They know about Christ, the Son of God. Notice Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now let me say what he's talking about is on the road to maturity. There's levels of maturity. In this world, we don't fully attain to understanding everything about doctrine, nor do we fully attain to understanding, having perfect knowledge of the Son of God. But we're moving towards that. And the closer you get to that, the more mature you are. Every Christian has some knowledge about Jesus Christ, right? Otherwise, they couldn't and wouldn't be a Christian. So it's obvious that Paul isn't referring in verse 13 to saving knowledge of Christ, but rather he's talking about something that's deeper, something that goes beneath and beyond salvation. He's referring to knowing Christ in a personal and intimate way, not simply knowing about him, but knowing him. It's the knowledge of Christ that Paul said He longed for, in Philippians 3.10, he said, Oh, that I may know Christ. Not that I may know about him. Not that I may just know him as doctrine, but that I may know him. Notice what Paul put together in Philippians 3 about knowing Christ. Remember, Paul is saved out of a Pharisaical background. He was a Pharisee, had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of self-righteousness in coming to Christ. He gave all of that up, everything that he thought was great in making him look good. He gave it all up. He saw it was rubbish. It's nothing. He speaks about that in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that made me look good, everything that built up my confidence in myself, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, someone advancing in Judaism, he said, I gave it up. It's loss. It's nothing for the sake of Christ. More than that, he said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. Notice that, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul said he suffered the loss of all things. He counts it but rubbish. And he's speaking of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, not knowing about him, knowing him. Verse 9. Why is it so much better and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul tells us that he longed to know Jesus better than he did. This is the apostle Paul telling us this. And that same intimacy that Paul wanted, that's what every believer should long for. That's what every church should strive for. But understand this, in Ephesians 4, Paul isn't talking merely about individual Christians growing in their knowledge of Christ, getting to know him better. He's talking about local churches. 
local churches made up of individuals, but the church as a whole attaining and striving for a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Folks, that speaks volumes to us because it tells us that a mature church is a church that teaches its people about Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and does it in a non-superficial way. It's a church that's centered on Jesus Christ. It's a church that's growing in the knowledge of Christ because they're being taught about him. What would they be taught about? Well, they'd be taught messianic prophecy. They'd be taught about Christ's character, certainly his deity, his humanity, his attributes, the work that he accomplished on the cross and other works, his future return. Prophecy is all a part of that. What he'll do in the millennial kingdom, his judgments, and so forth. And the more a church is taught about Christ, the more a church knows about him, the more they will grow in him, and the greater will be their capacity to know him better in a more full and intimate way. The church is all about Jesus. That's the bottom line. It's about him. He's the head of the church. He's our savior. He's our friend. He's our elder brother. He's our Lord. He's our God. Now, We understand that getting to know Christ, we understand that it is a lifelong process and that in this lifetime we will never be perfect in our knowledge of him until we see him face to face. We know that. But our goal as individuals and as a local church is to know him as well as we possibly can. And that knowledge of him only comes as we spend time in his word, time in prayer, fellowshipping with him. You see, a mature church doesn't simply have head knowledge about Christ. It knows him in an intimate and personal way. He's real to them because it focuses on him. It is a Christ-centered church. So a mature church, Paul tells us, is a church that is united in the faith. It's a church that's growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. But there's a third mark of a mature church that Paul speaks about in verse 13, and that is a church that is mature is a church made up of Christ-like Christians. It's kind of redundant to say that. Christ-like Christians. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to, notice this, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. Now what Paul means when he speaks of a mature man and then he says the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ is simply in one word Christ likeness. It's to be like Christ. In other words, the mark of a church that is mature is that the congregation reflects Jesus Christ in their behavior. They don't just know about him, they know him, but they live him. They live him. Now, we know that every Christian will someday be like Christ. That's what scripture says. Without any flaws, without any sins. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we're going to be like Jesus Christ. Every believer is someday going to be perfectly sanctified. We're not going to be Christ. Only Christ is Christ. But we're going to be like him in terms of our character. But right now, there is a process. There is a process, and theologians call it progressive sanctification, where we are being conformed to the image of Christ. 
That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? The very next verse says that he is conforming us. This is our destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. So everything in life, the good things, the neutral things, the bad things, the adversity, all of that God is sovereignly using to make us in character more like Christ. And someday, someday when we see him face to face, that will be completed. But in the meantime, we are to be growing in Christ-likeness in our daily lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As I said, this is progressive sanctification. It takes place, Paul says, as we spend time in the Lord's presence. We're looking at the Lord We're reading his word. We're looking at his glory. We're spending time in prayer. We're crying out, Lord, help me to be like you. Help me to be loving and kind and compassionate. We're meditating on the word. We're applying the word. And at that time, the Holy Spirit is transforming us so that even though we may not see it because we tend to see so much of our sin, we don't see our development, but we are as he is conforming us more and more to Jesus Christ so that we radiate him, we reflect him. This is what Paul worked so hard for. Paul worked very hard. He toiled, he labored. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, he worked harder than any of the other apostles. And why did he work so hard? Colossians 1, 28, 29 tells us, it's sort of the theme verse of Lakeside. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, meaning mature, in Christ. Paul said, for this purpose also I labor, means I toil, I work to the point of exhaustion, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul worked really hard as God was energizing him, but he worked hard to teach every man so that he might present every man mature in Christ. That was his goal. So this Christ-likeness, this is what the Apostle John was talking about in 1 John 2.6. I love this. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you say you know him, then walk in the same manner that he walked. See, the goal of every church should be to walk in the same manner as Christ. Every member ought to have that as their goal. To be loving like Christ. To be holy like Christ. To be obedient like Christ. To be kind like Christ. This is what it means to be Christ-like as we reflect him in the world. And this isn't a matter of just a few people in the church being like him, just leaders being like him. Paul is saying that we are all to attain to the fullness of Christ. All believers, that's the goal. Listen, the way a church is measured by God isn't based on how many members you have, but how Christ-like are the members that you have. Can I say that again? The way a church is measured by God isn't based on how many members you have, but how Christ-like are the members that you have. There are more marks of a mature church that we'll look at in future weeks, but these are three that we need to think about tonight. The church is made up of people. That's us. So how do we apply this? Well, if you're a member of this church or any local church, If you're a believer, then you must move in the direction of being one who understands the doctrines of the faith. Are you? Do you care about doctrine? You should. 
Secondly, you must be serious about growing in your relationship with Christ. Don't be stagnant. Grow. Cry out to him to help you to grow. And third, you must pursue becoming more and more like Jesus in your character. It's about being like him. That's my desire for Lakeside. It's my prayer for Lakeside. It ought to be your desire as well. Listen, my commitment and everyone who teaches at Lakeside, our commitment is to teach you God's word in order to equip you. Many of these men here are elders and they're committed to equipping you, helping you to grow spiritually so that you can effectively carry on your own ministries using your spiritual gifts. And when you do minister to others, the church will be built up. Our commitment is to help you to grow. Your commitment must be to grow. As we work on being a body of believers, a body that has doctrinal agreement, a body that has knowledge and intimate knowledge of the Son of God, and a body of believers that is committed to being like Christ. We don't want to be theological eggheads. We just know the doctrine. We don't live it out. We want all of that. We want to be like him. We want to know him. We want to know the truth. And one of the great truths in the New Testament upon which we all are united is the truth about the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper speaks of doctrine. It speaks of the doctrine of the cross, doesn't it? Where our Savior died for us. It speaks of our Savior, Christ, because he was the one on the cross And it speaks of growing in him. Why? Because the Lord's Supper is a time that we examine our hearts. And if there's sin, we need to repent of sin. If there are poor attitudes, we need to repent of them. We need to confess our sin. Think about these things. Think about your own life in terms of your commitment to doctrine. Your own life in terms of commitment to Christ himself. Knowing him. How serious are you about knowing him? Your own relationship with him as far as becoming like him, being conformed to his image. Is there anything you need to repent of? Have you been unkind to someone? Have you not kept your word? Have you been angry at someone? All of this. These are the things that humble us, but they make us more like our dear Savior. If you're not a believer in Christ, may I urge you, I do urge you, come to him. Come to know him. There's no one like him. You'll never regret it. Come to know Christ. Trust him as your savior. Lord's Supper is for believers, not unbelievers. If you don't know Christ, just let the elements pass you by. Lord, show us if there's any sin in our lives, sin that hasn't been confessed, that hasn't been repented of. Help us to not conjure up things that are really not sins because we're overly sensitive in our conscience. But help us, Lord. If there's sin that needs to be repented of, there's anybody we need to ask forgiveness of bring it to our minds convict us by the spirit of God but Lord help us as we've been thinking about these truths that Paul has taught us tonight help us to be committed to doctrine because it's your doctrine it's not dry it's not something that is so scholarly we can't attain it's just teaching it's your word help us to know what we believe and to be a church that is in agreement with doctrine. And Lord, help us to know you better. Help us to make it a point to know you more intimately, spend more time with you, to hear your word and to absorb your word and to apply your word and to meditate on your word. And help us, Lord, to grow in you and to reflect you 
to be like you. Lord, show us deficiencies in our lives. Show us where we lack love, where we lack compassion, where we lack forgiving other people. Show us where we hold grudges and we have resentments and there are jealousies and those things that just need to go. We need to put those off and put on the new man, which is you. So help us. And as we gather around your table, Lord, may it be a sweet time of fellowship as we remember your death for us, the very death that brought us to you. Lord, may this be a time that you're honored by each of your people here, but a time that we're thrilled to just be in your presence and talking to you and doing this, because you said to do this, so it's obedience, it's honoring you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The way a church is measured by God isn't based on how many people attend, but how Christ-like they are. Now, if you're a Christ follower, then you must move in the direction of being one who understands the doctrines of the faith. You must be serious about growing in your relationship with Christ. And third, you must pursue becoming more and more like Jesus in your character. I'd say we sat down to a very good meal today. And I hope you've been challenged in your faith walk as you've listened to Verse by Verse Radio. If you're in the Clearwater, Florida area, you are welcome to attend the Lakeside Community Chapel where Steve Kreloff is the pastor. If you would like more information regarding location and service times, check out lakesidechapel.com. Also, please plan to join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.